0: Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and in just a moment we'll do more of an introduction, but I want to start just by reading. So 1 Corinthians 3, and you can turn to, we're going to start right at the very end actually of verse 9, so I'll give you just a moment to turn there, and then I'll read it. We're going to look at verses, uh, at the very end of cha- uh, verse 9, all the way through verse 17 this morning. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 9. This is where we wrapped up with last time. It says, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward, and if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire." Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. There's been a bit of a revival in architectural kind of circles of building... uh, not just commercial buildings, but homes out of more lasting materials rather than homes that are constructed quickly and and cheaply, but of things that will need to be replaced every decade or two. Some are wanting to kind of resume the practice of building homes that that are made from the very beginning to last for centuries. Uh, One one such builder in, in Oklahoma, he's been constructing these solid brick homes that the walls themselves are a, a foot thick and the, the uh, quality and construction is, is such that hopefully generations and generations from now people will still be living in those same homes. They, they, they look like this, just to give you a little bit of a, of a sense. Um, as you can see, they're maybe a little bit smaller. All right? um, uh, but solid brick homes, metal and wood construction, uh, meant to be a timeless design, inside as well as out. I mean, the kitchen will look dated in 30 years. But the idea is that everything else is, is lasting. He describes the, the philosophy of his company this way. The goal of building is human flourishing. Is it beautiful? Can it be passed down for generations? Do the materials age with grace? Does it contribute to the community? Does it inspire? Does it feel like a home rather than just a house? You simply can't mass-produce these qualities. We are fighting for a new renaissance and building and architecture where a commitment to beauty, craftsmanship, and enduring materials enriches our lives and contributes to human flourishing. As you could guess, a home like this takes longer to build and it costs more to build. But over the lifetime of the home, the idea is that it becomes much less expensive because it's made to last it endures. It's resilient. Well, as you may have noticed as we read through this passage, Paul uses language like that to discuss the building of the church. And not, of course, these walls, the, the structure, but the, the organization, the assembly, the, the people that make up the church. It's a timeless illustration because the same principles that have to do with building Uh, physically, from 2,000 years ago, apply today, and how much more so what goes into building a church. How timeless are they? The foundation must be solid of a building. The materials must be able to endure. They must be resilient. But again, the point here is not about a building, a physical structure, but but a gathering, uh, an assembly, a, a group of people like ours I'm going to tell you right at the very beginning the key phrase of this look at look at verse 10 I want you to put your eyes there in the end of verse 10 but each man must be careful how he builds on it Each man must be careful how he builds on it this is the controlling statement for this passage that we must build a church with great care with great care Starts by discussing the the foundation. The church's one foundation is Jesus. You may have the words of the classic hymn pop into your head as we say that. I would would sing it, but nobody wants that, right? Uh, The church's one foundation is Jesus. Verse 10. Paul says, According to the grace which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. In the end of verse 11, he makes very clear the foundation which I laid is, is Jesus Christ. Paul's role, he says, was as a wise master builder. That's actually a, a word that, that if I told you the Greek, you'd know just what it is. It's, it's where we get our word architect from. It's almost exactly the word architect. And, and yet the role at his time... Uh, it was more than just a designer. An architect was kind of like the chief engineer, designer, and on-site building manager all wrapped up in one. And Paul says, That's, that was my role. That was my role, was to lay this foundation. And, of course, we know if a foundation isn't solid and square and lasting, the the whole building will be off. Uh, the first house that my wife and I wanted to buy Uh, This would have been more than 16 years ago. Uh, We found a home we liked. It was beautiful on the outside. It was from the 1920s, but it had been remodeled. It had new siding, new windows. The upstairs was all remodeled. It looked great. So we put in an offer. We put down earnest money. Everything was accepted. Uh, And then came the home inspection. And as we walked through with the home inspector, everything was looking good until we got to the basement. And as he walked through the basement, as we walked through it together, part of it had been finished and was covered up, but part of it wasn't. And he was able to take me back and, and show me. And the basement walls, he had a screwdriver, and he could just chip away. It was like, it was like he was chipping at sand that had been compacted. I mean, it was, it was just loose and falling apart. Um, we didn't buy that house, right? Because we knew that as much as the rest of it might have looked good, if the foundation isn't solid... Uh, that, that home would be nothing but trouble. It tells us here the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. It's not human tradition. It's not, it's not ethics. It's not ritual or political causes. It's not social action. It's not an emotional experience. It's not just that we really like each other, right, and we just enjoy being around each other. It's not what we have in common in life and jobs and homes. It's, it's Jesus, a little language used to describe the same concept. In Ephesians 5, 23, Jesus is described as the head of the church. In Ephesians 2, verse 20, he's described as the cornerstone, which is the, the key foundation stone in, in, in a foundation, in which the rest of the, the building is based off of. These are all analogies, trying to get at the same thing, that at the very, the very core, the very foundation, the very essence of what it means to be a church, it must be built on Christ, and that is good because that is a stable foundation. That is a lasting foundation. We we long for stability. Whether it's in our own personal lives or or in a church body, we we long for stability. Nobody says, I just wish my relationships were more fractured and unstable, right? I, I wish my job was on the edge of being ripped away from me unexpectedly. All right? no, nobody says that. We, we want stability in our own personal lives and, and in a church. And he says this is the stable foundation of a church. It's, it's Christ. Uh, and Jesus' probably most famous message that he gave during his earthly ministry, his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 to 7, he, he ends with some language that's kind of reminiscent of this. At the end of... The Matthew 7, the end of this three-chapter message that he gives, he uses language again of a foundation. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock." Everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act in them will be like a foolish man who's built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. In this passage, he's talking really to the individual. The individual needs needs to respond to his words and build his life on his words. and the, The message of teaching, his righteousness in our place, our trust in him. This is a solid foundation in 1 Corinthians 3, it's using similar language, but it's not talking just about your individual life, although there's some, some truth there, your individual life being built on Christ. He's talking about the church, our corporate body, our, our assembly, our gathering of people, saying it must be built on this foundation. And this is not a, a new theme. ...in 1 Corinthians. It's really another way of elaborating what he said several times. Look back at chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. It says, I determined to know nothing among you... ...except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, that was my drumbeat. That's what I came back to again and again was Christ. Verse 5. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men... ...but on the power of God. That is why he built this foundation... The person and work of Christ so that the, this building, this church, this body, this gathering, this assembly would not rest on his wisdom or power or influence or charisma, but on, but on Christ. So, so friends, that must be the foundation of every church today, um, built on Christ. As we recognize that each of us is added to a church as we come to faith in Christ. We, we trust in Christ. We see our sin. We see our need for Him. We see Him as our substitute. We trust in Him. We're adopted into His family, which means we get all these brothers and sisters that we did not choose for ourselves. Right? The other people you gather with at a church are not friends that you just happen to choose and like, although I hope you like each other. right? It, it's not. It's brothers and sisters in a common adopted family that the Lord has placed in there Built on this foundation of Christ, and then this building project begins. To use the language that he does here, we should notice that in some places it talks about just Jesus building His church. Uh, Matthew sixteen verse eighteen, Jesus says, "Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower." Ultimately, Jesus is the one building His church, and yet. Here, the analogy is on our role in that. Each one is building. Each one must be careful how he builds. We saw that in verse 10. Verse 12, if any man builds on this foundation, and he goes through different items, it's directed primarily at a leadership of a local church, but really all of us, because we all have a role in in, in building a church. And so as the book goes on and we get to chapters 12 and 14 and it talks about the way that your spiritual gifts should contribute to this construction project. We see that it's not just something for pastors and, and elders and deacons but, 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 but all of us to take heed to this warning as we build on this foundation that is Christ. So the foundation is Christ and then it says that we must take great care how we build. We build this foundation. uh, We build this church on the foundation of Christ. So Paul in this analogy says, I I laid the foundation. Because he came through, he brought the gospel to Corinth. And it says each one must be careful how he builds. And then look at verse 12. Put your eyes there. It says, now... If any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. Gives these six types of building materials. And you probably notice it's in descending order of value, from most valuable to least valuable. But, but really, they, these six building materials fall into two categories as it goes on. Categories that, that last and can endure through fire and those that cannot. So the gold and costly stones, as opposed to wood, hay, and straw, are, are things that are lasting building materials. Uh, in the ancient world, people would have used building materials like that to, to construct a, a temple or an a, a important building. But, but homes would have been built out of the second category of wood, hay, and straw. Well, of course, it's not about building here, about it, but building a structure. It's about building a church, about building this assembly, this, this people. And so what this means is every church must ask, are the, the programs, the activities, the worship services, are they designed to build solid, maturing disciples? Or are they just kind of religious busy work, uh, entertainment? H- how are we building. How are we building? Are we taking care with how we build? Because it says each man's work will become evident for the day will show it. The the day, uh, used in kind of shorthand that way, refers throughout the Old and New Testament to the the coming day of the Lord. Jesus' return, this time that is both a time of of reward and, and judgment, of deliverance and judgment. But it also can be used of More short term trials that anticipate that great day of the Lord. It's used that way throughout the Old Testament as well, of more immediate and short term difficulties, judgments, preparing and anticipating the great future judgment. And it says that that day, that trial, that difficulty will reveal the quality with which a church was built, it'll have a revealing effect. So are we building with things that are timeless? Um, this, this Sunday is a Sunday that often churches will celebrate the Reformation. Um, looking back to a little over 500 years ago when the Protestant Reformation kicked off and uh, you know, some transition before that, of course, but about, about 500 years ago is when, when there was really this renewal and revival of the Word and of the Gospel. And during the Protestant Reformation... They, one of the things they did is they really narrowed down what are the three marks of a healthy, solid, biblical church? And what they concluded is the, the right preaching of the word. Is the word handled carefully and accurately? The right preaching of the word. The right administration of sacraments, of, of baptism and, and, and the Lord's Supper. And maybe perhaps surprisingly to us, um, church discipline. Uh, is a church... Uh, applying biblical principles and, and calling followers of Christ to holiness. Uh, look at those as these three marks. And you can kind of think of those things as solid building blocks of a church. Things that are that are timeless and lasting. As we open the word of God, as we baptize followers of Christ, uh, neat, neat Sunday not anticipated this way, but both at this service and the second service, um, we have people being baptized. Um, as a, declaration of their faith in Christ. Um, as we take communion uh, next Sunday, we're, we're engaging in practices that churches have been doing for 2,000 years to build up the body, to, to remember the gospel and come back to it over and over again, to insist upon uh, personal faith in Christ as that which Join somebody to, to Christ and therefore to the church. These are solid building blocks. G- Jesus says in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Uh, that's like these solid bricks of building a structure. The outside of my house, probably like many of yours, is vinyl siding. Right? The big windstorm we had a couple months ago showed us that vinyl siding is not a lasting <laughs> Solid building material. It's, it, it, it does the job, right? It, it covers the home. But every 20, 30 years it has to be replaced. You know, It wears out. It falls off in the wind. As opposed to building that is solid and, and lasting. And when it comes to the church, building on God's word and these practices he's given us are, are solid and lasting. During normal times, the, the, the quality, if you will, of these building materials may not be evident. It tells us here that it's, the the day will show it because it is revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Fire is often used of a purifying, trying, revealing quality in Scripture. Again, this is primarily looking ahead to the the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, and the time of of accountability. and, And it says that will ultimately reveal the quality of this building. But I think even, smaller trials that we endure have a similar effect. I was thinking of that as I was listening to Aaron share and thinking, are we developing believers in our body that could endure suffering like that? I read an article this week that that really asked that question, and I want to read this part to you. This author says, Imagine that America collapses. First anarchy, then tyranny, from the right or the left. Imagine that religious freedom is gone. What remains for Christians is fines, prison, exile, martyrdom. Then ask yourself this. Has has your church been developing real radical Christians? Christians who can sing on the scaffold, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. He says, Are we are we developing that kind of Christian. Now, it's not a prophetic statement that this kind of suffering will come, that it will come in your lifetime or my lifetime. It, it may or may not. But every church should be building to endure that, right? We, we should be building believers in, a, in an assembly, and a gathering, in individual believers that can endure that kind of suffering. Believers that can say the, the words that we, we read earlier before we prayed from Hebrews 10, 32 to 34, But remember the former days when after being enlightened, meaning after coming to Christ, your eyes were opened to the goodness of the gospel and your need for Christ, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle spectacle through reproaches and tribulations. In other words, just, just being publicly ridiculed, which there's maybe a growing trend of that for Christians in America. Partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. Uh, Other believers being treated that way and you're sharing with them. For you showed sympathy to prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your properties. Accepted joyfully the seizure of your properties? I I would have a hard time accepting joyfully the seizure of my property, my, my home, my possessions. Knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Why could they accept joyfully the seizure of their properties as an aspect of this persecution? Not because their homes were hovels and they didn't care about them. It wasn't wasn't that. It was because they knew they had a better possession and a lasting one in in Christ and something eternal. Friends, this is sobering for me to to read this and thinking, are, are my eyes on eternity In that way, so so that I could could endure suffering, if it were to come. That is a description uh, of a church that can endure, that is resilient. That when revealed by this fire, it shows that it's lasting. Notice too, though, it says that work that remains is rewarded. Good, verse 14. So this fire, this ultimate accountability before the Lord reveals the quality. Is it constructed? Is our is our body constructed out of lasting materials or materials that burn? Verse 14: if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. It uses language of reward and loss. This thing which we built used our spiritual gifts, we've worked together, we've cooperated, we've trusted in Christ, we've built on the foundation. If it remains, it says there's a reward for that labor. It doesn't detail what the rewards are, but it says there'll be a reward. But on the other hand, if it does not, there's this sense of loss. He's really quick to say, I'm not talking about loss of salvation. Look at the end of verse 15. It says, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. So he says, I'm not, I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation. Uh, that would be an unbiblical concept, and it's certainly not what's described here. He says, that's not even what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this reward or loss of reward um, if what you build remains or does not, as this trial reveals. Friends, this this mini trial that we've endured over the last six, seven months um, can kind of prepare us for perhaps a greater trial. If it comes, it, it can sober us into considering what do we value in a church? What, what is most significant and most necessary, not what is most convenient or, or entertaining, but what is most necessary and what is solid and sound and, and lasting? Verses 16 and 17, briefly, it has an even more sober warning. It warns against those who would seek to destroy a church And it reminds us that we will be accountable to the Lord of the church. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. This is, we are God's temple. In other places, even just a few chapters later, that language is used of you as an individual believer with the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, your body as a temple and must be conducted in such a way. But here, it's not talking about you as an individual believer because that would be jumping context, right? What does it say this temple is? It's us. That, that Together, as the Holy Spirit dwells in us, dwells in his people, that we are you are God's temple. And, and that there's accountability for those that would destroy the temple. This language is stronger than what was just used a verse before, right? The verse before was talking about sloppy builders who will be held accountable. They themselves will be saved yet, yet as through fire. But now he uses the language of destroy. Right? And it's a sobering warning for those that perhaps through false teaching destructive practices, not, not just sloppy, but but wolves that come in within a body and, and seek to destroy, is the, the language that's often used in the New Testament. He says God will hold them accountable. It's sobering and it shows the way in which he cares for the church, his people. Friends, as we wrap up, I just want to say this. We have an opportunity to build something great. And not for our own glory, but but something that is beautiful and and lasting in the church. And and not in a building that's going to fall down, right? But but in this assembly, in this gathering, in these people, um, uses the language of building to say that that's what we're about. As you join yourself to a church, it's not just a gathering that you come and go you know quickly on Sunday mornings but it's this building project right where we're using our spiritual gifts we're building into one another helping one another grow helping us each to endure through trial and suffering and difficulty so that it's something that that outlives us and it's desperately needed. Turn turn really quick as we wrap up to 1st Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. I just want to look at one verse here as we As we close, 1 Timothy 3, 15. Because this reminds us of the importance of the church. 1 Timothy 3, uh, verse 15 is what we're going to read, but it starts in verse 14. So look there to begin. 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 14. It says, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed... This is verse fifteen. Now I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. He says, "I'm writing so you know how to conduct yourself, in, and not just this religious club you're a part of." He says, "But in the household of God, this language of adoption again—we're adopted into His family. Got all these brothers and sisters. In this household of God, and He calls the church." Of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. That's why we must take care how we build. Because the church is a pillar and, and buttress, a support of the truth. Um, friends, we must take great care how we build.